Well, it's, uh, it's fantastic to have the opportunity to continue our sermon series. We've been doing a uh, series called Five Truths That Change the World and Will Strengthen Yours. And we'll see if we can uh, live up to that title today uh, as we continue with the, uh, the fifth of these, uh, these sermons, uh, which is To God Be the Glory. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us and then we'll get right to it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to be gathered here today. We thank you for this wonderful setting and pray, Father, that while we're warm and secure and safe, you may turn our hearts and minds to you. Father, would you help us to know you better, to be changed by the work of your Holy Spirit and to live fully devoted to your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start uh, this morning with a question. What, what's life all about? What's life all about? Now, there'll be times when I don't ask rhetorical questions and I really am looking for feedback. But if, if you called it out at the moment, we might be overwhelmed because there's, there's lots of thinking on this, isn't there? Lots of thinking about what life is all about. And uh, you might have a suspicion that there's a right answer. Uh, this is a great little comment I saw this week. There's something there, isn't there? It says, there's no way I was born just to pay bills and die. I think there is in human beings a longing for more. A longing that this life has to make sense in some way, has to be about something bigger than the drudgery of suburban living. And I want to tell you today that that's the case. But before we get to that, let's have a look at some of the alternatives that are offered by our, our world. This one says, the most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy. That's all that matters. Now, at some level, that's, that's okay. How about this one? The most important thing on earth is family. Well, that, that's, that's pretty good too, isn't it, really? The most important thing, apparently, according to Jim Morrison, who knows? I, I heard a great quote the other day. It said, uh, Winston Churchill said, 80% of statistics on the internet are made up. It'll, it'll, you'll get there in a second. You'll get it. Who, who knows whether Jim Morrison actually said this, but apparently he said, the most important kind of freedom is to be what you really are. Or, or we could try this one. The most important things in life are the connections you make with others. Obviously, that's the extroverted people amongst us. Is that right? The introverts are quietly sitting there going, oh, please, no more connections. Uh, this, one's, this one's pretty interesting. Fill your life with, expect, with uh, experiences, not things. Have stories to tell, not stuff to show. Now, that's, pretty, that's getting close to the spirit of the age, isn't it? Uh, if we could... If we can just get out of here and travel and have some more experiences, then we'll have actually done something worthwhile. Stories to tell. Experiences to have. I I, I think I like the simplicity of this one. (laughs) The most important thing, it's less words than the top one, the most important thing is to be happy. It's a funny thing to chase after. I don't know if any of you have chased after happiness. I think it's a derivative product. What what, what I mean by that is, if you seek it in itself, it'll perpetually remain out of your reach. 
if you invest yourself in others and serving, it'll find you. Chase it on its own and it's a fool's game, I think. So to say the most important thing is to be happy, I think is almost to admit defeat before you start it, if that's what you're going to chase. Here's a great quote. What are you really living for? It's crucial to realise that you're either glorifying God or you're glorifying something or someone else. You're always making something look big. That's really interesting. So we're saying something is bound up in being human, which is about magnifying, making something else great. And either the object of all of that energy and lifting up is God, or it'll be something else in his place. Something else in his place. We've been doing a series where we've been talking about five distinctive truths that mark out Christianity as unique. We've looked at the Bible alone, faith alone, grace alone, and last week Matthew looked at Christ alone. This week we're finishing our series Not that there aren't more unique things about Christianity, but the idea of living for God's glory alone. God's glory alone as the central, most important thing in our lives. But here's the thing. Live for God's glory alone. That's great. I think the question has to be asked, is God glorious? If I'm supposed to live for his glory, pour myself out to glorify him, Is he ultimately worthy of it? What is there about God that would be turning this decision to live only for his glory into something worthwhile, something fulfilling, something that I could genuinely ask adult human beings to devote their life to? What is there in God? Is he actually glorious? Well, I'm going to suggest that he is, and we're going to work through uh, some bits of the Bible. So if you can grab your Bible, that would be really great. I love this sign. It's fantastic. I'm not sure if you can read it with all the scaffolding there. Can can you read it? It says, make no little plans. Make no little plans. There's a sense in which someone has said, I want to do something great with my life. Make no little plans. And what I want to suggest to you this morning as we start, go to that that, uh, that reading that was brought to us from Ephesians. uh, On page uh, 1172 uh, is Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to have a look at verses 3 to 6. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 6. It says there this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love... He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What I want to tell you is God planned for glory for you to glorify him before the creation of the world. It has been God's plan that you would bring glory to him before the creation of the world. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? So before creation, God had chosen us to do that. 
What about when God got the universe underway? So I don't know, T T minus one, uh, God had glory on the agenda. T plus one, glory begun. Uh, We could go to Genesis. If if you don't know where that is, uh, open the front of your Bible, trip past... uh, Trip past your um, introduction bits and maps in our Bibles here. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we're going to have a look at verses 1 to 3. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. On page 2, I think it is in, in, in these Bibles. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, we can debate how God went about the process of creating, can't we? And maybe that's a night that we can have a special talk in here and we can talk about all scientific theories and all the rest of it. Here's the thing. First thing to note, this wasn't written... written as a scientific textbook. It's not its first purpose, okay? Second thing to say, it does say exactly what it wants you to know. That is, what its author is trying to communicate. Its author is trying to communicate that God alone is the creator of all that we can see. And, and Luke's sitting here, and Luke, you can probably tell us a lot more about all of that, can't you, mate? Uh, if, you want to, if you want to have a fabulous morning tea conversation, uh, have a chat with Luke. Sorry? One at a time. Form an orderly queue, I think, is the idea from Luke. Luke, what's your official job, mate? He's an astrophysicist. Now, you won't bump into too many of them, and if you would like to talk about what this wonderful picture is here, Luke, you'll know, you'll know exactly what this is. Oh, Bernie? Okay, there's a husband-wife moment for you. Uh, it's, uh, it's called, the picture is called The Pillars of Creation, if I'm not wrong, and it was taken by, by the Hubble Telescope. Uh, It's an extraordinary picture, isn't it? Why do I want to tell you that our God is worthy of glory? Well, here's what the Bible tells me. He says he created everything. He created everything. The thing I love about the intricacy of God's creation, we had to invent stuff to see parts of it that we couldn't already see. Yeah, You know, we take for granted atoms, don't we? And DNA and, and these sorts of things. There is... Amazing intricacy and detail if we drill in. And when we press out, we had to launch a telescope into space and then focus it on a particular area to see this picture. The point is God's creation is truly breathtaking. God begun his creation to bring praise and honour and glory to himself. And so we actually see this spelt out. Creation itself is glorious, and it says in Psalm 19, don't worry about going there, I'll read it to you. In Psalm 19, 1 to 4, it says this, and you'll you'll be able to tell from this picture here. Have a listen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. God is glorious. He has made everything. And he is worthy of our praise. Thirdly, 
God has created a people for his glory. God has created a people for his glory. Why don't we go to Exodus 19? It's a great little part of the Bible. Um, Exodus 19 is on page 75 if you've got the, um, the small print ones. Uh, when I get more time, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I will work harder on the references for the large print. So my apologies for that. Um, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus. So just start the Bible and keep working back. You get to uh, Exodus chapter 19. And I want to read for you verses 4 to 6. God has just saved his people out of Egypt, which is why I've got magnificent pyramids there. Here's what he says to his people. In verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Can you see that? God loves the whole world. He created the whole world. He cares for all the people of the earth, but he chose a particular people. And he said, you are going to be a kingdom of priests for me. Your job is to bring me honor and praise and glory on earth. So God chose a people, a nation, to bring glory to him. Interestingly, that's actually picked up and echoed of the church in the New Testament. So 1 Peter 2.9, I'll read it to you again, says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What's the church? Now made up of every nation on earth in order that we might declare the praises of God. Creation was begun with a plan for glory. It announces glory. It now has a people in it to proclaim God's glory. God arranges for his people, his special people, to give a home to his glory. Why don't you look with me at 1 Kings uh, on page 339. 1 Kings uh, chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, for those of you who have joined, joined us with our Kings series, you'll remember this. Uh, King David said he would like to build God a house. And God said, thank you, uh, you're not going to do it. Your son Solomon is going to build the house for me. And Solomon, at lavish expense, built a beautiful home for God. And here's what happened on the day when he commissioned it. He had his opening service, in other words. Here's what happened uh, at that opening service. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 to 11. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God said, I love this place. I love this place you have set aside for me. And he fills it with his glory. Now, interestingly enough, if you've noticed the surfaces around this building here, as they've been grinding concrete out there, there has indeed been a cloud that has filled this place. It is not the same thing. God, in his supernatural presence, chose to dwell here and fill it with the visual representation of his glory. Amazing. Amazing beauty. A place where his glory would dwell. Now, God's glory dwelt in a place. And then 
became flesh and blood and dwelt amongst us. God's glory is in his son. I'll get you to jump right up the other end of the Bible to Hebrews. Uh, We're going to Hebrews, uh, which is uh, Hebrews chapter 1. And Hebrews chapter 1 is on 1204, page 1204. It's worth going. This is one of those ones which if it was your Bible that you brought along, I'd get you to highlight. You could probably could highlight our Bible if you wanted to. Uh, but, uh, you know, do it carefully. Make sure you use straight lines, that sort of thing. Hebrews chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 to 4. Listen to the way the Bible talks about Jesus. It's extraordinary. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. There is something extraordinary about the Son. He represents the Father. He on earth is the face of the Father. You will get to know the Father through the Son and it is for glory that he was sent for glory. Have a listen to Jesus' prayer. Again, I'll just read this uh, to you. In John 17, 1 to 5, this is Jesus praying to his Father. Have a listen to how much glory is on Jesus' agenda. John 17, verse 1 says this, after this, Jesus looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Isn't that beautiful? This is Jesus praying and he's saying, God, I came for your glory. I came to give honour and praise to you and I have done it by obedience. And now, Father, glorify me that I might be restored to the place of glory I had before I walked on earth here. How will Jesus receive glory? It's through the cross, isn't it? Do do you remember that really weird bit we had from Revelation? It was talking about a lamb looking like he'd been slain. And some of you are going... What is that about? Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The reason he looks like he's slain is that he's been crucified and yet has overcome. The reason we will praise and honour Jesus for all eternity is his wounds. We will look to them and see we were one from darkness to light by what you did on the cross. Jesus, the son glorifies the father there's another reason to glorify the father which is mission Uh, some i'll I'll just read this to you some 86 verse 9 says this all the nations you have made will come and worship before you lord they will bring glory to your name 
the nations will come and honour God. How will they do that? Well, here's a passage that you should know, and uh, we should turn it up. Matthew 28. Hopefully some of you could just go and just quote it straight back to me without looking at it. Uh, Matthew 28 is on page 1,000, which is a nice round number, isn't it? Matthew 28 and verses 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Here's what it says. Remember, the plan is to have nations come and glorify God. How will that happen? Then Jesus came to them and said, this is after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Wow. There's a a fantastic quote from a guy called John Piper. And he said this, Mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Human beings are made to give praise and glory to God. And we will be on mission as a church We have a desire to reach out to the world around us until every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why we're here, that people might give to God what they owe him. Now, that sounds a little bit like what we're on about, isn't it? We long to see new life in Jesus come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest and the rest of the world as well. For their salvation, for the good of the community and the glory of God. That is what this church exists for. Do you notice those things? Salvation, the good of the community, and ultimately what we're all about, which is the glory of God. That is what we are on about here at New Life. Well, what's the future? The present is about glory. The past is about glory. Before there was a past, it was about glory. What about the future? What about the future? In Revelation 5, uh, from the reading that, that Russ brought us, which is on page 1240, Revelation 12, uh, sorry, Revelation 5, on page 1240, uh, says this, You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, And 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb. That's that lamb again. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And we want to say amen there, don't we? Amen. The future, amazingly, is about glory. The end of all redeemed, all the, all the people that God has won to himself, the end of all redeemed, redeemed humanity is glory, that we would give glory to God. That's what we're all about. Why not it get boring? I mean, what if there's a bad music leader up the front? 
And they don't do the songs that you really like. Or if they do them, they've changed the key. Or they do it slower or faster than you like. Well, if we're supposed to spend forever praising God, I mean, seriously, that's not really a great, exciting vision, is it? I mean, you might even want to opt out of eternity, mightn't you? What if it's not just the singing part of church? What if that isn't the vision of the future? What, what, what if it isn't, I, I say to people, the Philadelphia cream cheese ad? Do, do you know what I'm talking about here? Where, where they have kind of like uh, fluffy clouds? Cream cheese apparently is part of eternity as well, but cream cheese. And, and angels wandering around on clouds. Now, I don't know if that's your vision of heaven. And we all have a harp. Now, now, I have a problem with that for a start because I was asked to stop playing the recorder in year three. So I'm not musical, okay? Like that's... It's not my gifting. So I get a harp and I'm supposed to sing on repeat some daggy songs from the 1970s because obviously they're the songs that will get through into eternity. Why would it get boring? I want to challenge your picture today and suggest to you it shouldn't. It shouldn't get boring and we'll see why. Please, everyone, grab a Bible. I want you to come to Revelation 21. Now, to find Revelation 21... Go to the end of your Bible, literally the last page, and start working back very carefully towards the front. You'll find you're at chapter 22, and then you'll get to chapter 21. Is everyone with me? Revelation chapter 21. Now, this is a picture of the end that God showed one of his chosen apostles called John. John wrote it down very carefully. This is what he saw. So it's John's account of what God showed him about the future. Here we go. Revelation 21, I'll read verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And all God's people said, bring it on. Have a look with me up here. We think heaven, right? Here's the picture of the throne, right? So up here. Here's a picture of the throne. There's heaven, that dwelling place of God. Here's what Revelation tells us. Look up here and see it. This is what it says. We don't go up to heaven. What happens? Heaven comes to earth. God dwells with us here on a new earth, made new, renewed, without death, without decay, without disease. You will want to live there. I don't think it's going to be a 24-7 worship festival. I think because the resurrection of Jesus was bodily, because the risen Jesus ate bread and fish and had breakfast, I believe we will live in a restored, perfect universe where we will have worthwhile work to do in honour and praise of God, in fellowship with other people, perfected human beings who we will delight to work with for the honour and praise of God forever. And I think it will be glorious. 
all that makes this life sorrowful, sick, suffering, it will all be removed. It will be made new and God will dwell in our midst. We will be restored and perfected. I think it's a glorious picture. All right, well, that's a picture of the future, right? I hope you don't get there soon. I'd like to see you next week. But what will this message about the glory of God mean for me at 9 a.m. tomorrow? So that's a big, that's the cutting edge question, isn't it? Brilliant. We had a wonderful little talk at church today about the, about the future. And now I'll go back to living a life where that. So let's think, what does it mean at 9 a.m. tomorrow? Well, first thing is, there's no way I was born just to die. Pay my bills and die. That's true. That's a right feeling stitched into your humanity. You were made for more than this. Here's what God says to us. We are not to have any idols. Because this is true, we are not to have any idols. Here's what it says in, uh, in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because the position is taken. Because there is a great and glorious, mighty, worthy God. So you can't have any gods before him. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third, fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Why no idols? Because they take the place of God. Because they rob you of fulfilling your humanity. Don't pour your worship into things that aren't worthy. That's the definition of a wasted life. Anything in God's place is an idol. Get rid of it. No idols. Much love. The most important one, Jesus answered. They said 613 commandments, Jesus. Give us the most important one. Trick question. Jesus answered, this is it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. We are to be filled with love for God that takes over our whole being, body, mind, soul and spirit. Pour yourself out in love and worship to God. Well, here's three things. Because you can still be saying, okay, so what am I supposed to do? First thing, Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to repent from when we've got little grab things that we hang on to that are less than the ultimate thing. So don't hear me wrong. Is family important? Is family worthy of God's place in your heart? No, it cannot be there. Serve your family out of praise and honour to God. Do that. Do that. I'm here for happiness. I will tell you, you will never find happiness if you pursue anything other than God as your ultimate. It will always let you down. It will always fail you. And I would suggest everyone here knows that. If you pursue anything as your primary thing in life, aside from the glory of God, it'll disappoint. Lord, help us to see these things and repent of them. Number two, refine the way you live. Um, I've said this before, give me your wallet and your watch and I'll show you who your God is. Give me your wallet and your watch and I'll show you who your God is. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? 
If we say we're all about the glory of God and I ask for your calendar, will it be evident? If I ask for your bank balance, will it be evident? Unless we say, Stuart's on a rantan for giving money to church, give it to God. If you give it here, that'd be really helpful, so don't hear me wishing it away. But here's what I'm saying. It's not about me trying to get money here, but that you would honour God with all that you have. And if it never touches your finances, guys, let's be clear. You have a God, and it's not the living one. Refine your time and your spending so that you might be on about what God's on about. And I want to suggest to you that here as a church, we'd love you to continue to pour your lives out in service to God. And I'm so thankful for the way so many of you do. Repent, refine, and lastly, revisit. What if God hasn't been too glorious to you recently? Oh yeah, God, glad you exist. I guess I'm going to church because now it's in my calendar. I don't really like this song. I hear I sing, I've got to sing glory four times in that chorus. Is there anything glorious about God for you? And if there's not, let me tell you, spend some time here. Meet him in his word. Find out how glorious he is. Be refreshed in that. And let your hearts overflow in devotion to him, not just work for him. Revisit the beautiful glories of our God. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you. We praise you. We want to lift your name up. We want to recognize the excellence of who you are. Father, we see your majesty around us. Save us from getting bored with it. Refresh us in who you are. Father, lead us to repent where we've traded anything else for your spot in our lives. Help us, Father, to revisit the way we spend our our time, our talents and our treasure and may they be devoted to your glory. Pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.